Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth, sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. So Mary, Mary, the Lord saw fit to use you. He saw fit to use you to show us a picture, to show us a picture of the mystery 
of the gospel that was to be revealed in your Son. The great mystery of the gospel that was hidden since the foundation of the world, hidden in God's Son. Of Mary's Son, Jesus, that we have this testimony. It says this, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And the great mystery of the gospel is that this man, in whom is the fullness of God, he was pleased to dwell within us. The mystery of the gospel is this, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. In Christ are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All else is delusions compared to what is found in Christ. He is the treasure store of all wisdom and knowledge. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, and he is pleased to dwell in you, and he was pleased to dwell in Mary. She was a foreshadowing of this great mystery of the gospel that was to be revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mary, how did you become so favored? And how could you dare to believe that what was spoken to you was possible? In Mary, we see this truth that to the one who is favored and faith-filled, there is rich blessing. To the one who is favored and faith-filled, there is rich blessing. And I want you to understand this, that you, like Mary, are blessed by God. If you believe His promises, though they seem improbable, though they seem impossible, you are blessed of God. So let me pray for our time that the Lord would teach us through His Word. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your blessings. Thank You so much for the hope that we have in You, the hope of glory that You have deigned to look upon us. God, though we all here are so prone to rebel against your good commands, against what is good and true, that you saw it fit to send your, your son to die for us. That your blood should cover us, that you should give us forgiveness of sins, that you should give us your Holy Spirit to live within, within us, inside of us, so, Lord, we thank you for your blessings to your church. I pray for all of us here, God. We know that, like Mary, we must come to you with expectation that we will receive from you what you have spoken. 
that you will give us what you have promised, that yes, you can conceive in our hearts also the Spirit of God. We have only to believe. So open up our hearts. Do what is impossible even right now. Visit us. Send us a message and speak to us the truth. Speak to us your promises, your word, and let our hearts be open, God. Let our hearts be open to receive with faith. We love you, Lord. We lift up our time together. We seek your presence. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the angel's first words to Mary, they were greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. O favored one. That is an interesting word in the Greek. The word is kakeritomine. Kakeritomine. And what's interesting is the root word keritao, which we get our word charis. Do we have a charis in the crowd? No? We have a, a Gabriel whose sister's name is Charis, so that's pretty interesting. But Charis is the word that we would use as grace. It also can be translated charity, grace, or favor. So look at what is packed into this word, oh, favored one. I mean, it, it could be better translated, a one endowed with grace. It could be translated, greetings a one endowed with grace. Greetings one who has freely received grace, who has been lavished upon with grace. It's why you, maybe you've heard Mary full of grace, right? Is this idea that if she could freely receive grace, if it was endowed on upon, upon her, then she was full of grace. She had received it abundantly to the overflowing. So what Gabriel is telling Mary is this. You are favored of God. He has chosen you to pour his grace out into you. And he says this. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. But Mary, what does she respond to this? What was her response? Did you catch her response? She didn't know what to make of it. It says that she was troubled by these words. And she was trying to discern what could this mean. It's like she's saying, favored? Me? Why? For what purpose? What are you talking about? I'm favored? By God? So you already see a difference between us and Mary. Mary did not presume on the grace of God. She did not assume that she deserved it. Rather, she feared God. She feared who was visiting her. She feared who had sent him, the Holy One of Israel, Yahweh the judge of all, who discerns all of our good works and our evil works. The God of wrath who returns the sin onto the third and fourth generations. This God of power and might. 
She feared God, and that's why she was troubled when she heard the words, favored one, the Lord is with you. What could this mean? So maybe, maybe I, I was thinking about this, maybe things would have been different if Gabriel was visiting an American Mary, right? An American Christian Mary. Maybe she would have had a different response. Maybe her response would have been slightly bored. Favored? Oh, I know that. Yeah, favored. Uh, favored? I better be. I deserve this. Presumption of the Lord's grace. Not merely expecting it and looking for His promises, but demanding it and taking it for granted. We all think that we are, are so favored and we deserve it from birth. Mary did not have this presumption. She was troubled by it. So why all this favor and grace toward Mary? What had she done to deserve this? Really, what we want to know when we ask that question is how does God come to call someone favored, right? Well, we begin to get an answer by looking at how God favored others. Moses, he was someone who was favored of God. He said this in Exodus 33, verse 12. At the time, he was praying for rebellious Israel God had had enough of Israel's rebellion. He said, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start all over again with you, Moses. So Moses, what does he do? He doesn't just accept that. He doesn't say, okay, wipe them out. That sounds good. I would like that. He labors for Israel in prayer. He takes the burden on of seeking their salvation. He goes to the tent of meeting alone, and he stays there, and he prays for God to grant them mercy. And this is what he bases his prayer on. When he prays for mercy, this is what he bases his prayer on in verse 19. He says, or verse 12, he says, You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Therefore, hear my plea for the people of Israel. How could Moses have known that? That he was known of God, that he was highly favored? Because the fact is, if you know anything about the story of Moses, he was a murderer. He had killed an Egyptian in cold blood. He didn't like what he was doing to a fellow Israelite. And he came up to him, and he slaughtered him. A murderer. How could he presume on God's favor? But the fact was that Moses was summing up what he knew by experience, what he had experienced from God since then, that God had set his affection on him. He had appeared to him and said, I choose you to set my people free. He knew by experience that he had found favor with God. He had set his goodness on him. And again, the question is, why? Well, the only explanation that God gives in this prayer exchange, he says to him in verse 19, I will be gracious 
to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And His grace was poured out onto Moses when he said to him, Moses said, show me, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you know me and that you favor me. Show me you. Show me your works. Show me who you are, that I may know you and find favor in your sight. And God hid him in the cleft of the rock and he let his goodness pass before him. He exposed him to his presence but then he, he's, it's all based off of this, what he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So what moves God to show grace and mercy to Moses, to Mary, to anyone? It's not their own merits. It's not what they have done in the body. It is by the sovereign, loving choice of God that he chose to love first. And Paul, he explains this idea in Romans chapter 9. There he explains why God chose to set his mercy on Jacob and not his brother Esau. It says this in verse 11 of chapter 9 in Romans. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might stand, might continue, not because of works, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the mother, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And in verse 19, he continues, what shall we say then in the face of this? What shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? That he would not base it on their works, but he would base it on his choosing of them to set his love and grace on them. And he says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He answers with the same thing that God told Moses in their prayer exchange. So then, he continues, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, you don't realize maybe how merciful of a thing this really is. This is such a good and glorious thing. For Mary, through no prior exertion or goodness on her own part, she was chosen by God, chosen for mercy, chosen for grace and purpose to birth the word into the world. And you see that this is the righteous, the righteous initiative of God. You see, we would never seek God in our own flesh. In our own nature, we would never seek Him. In our own will, we would never seek Him. In our own exertion, we would never have the strength to find Him. And here's what Romans 3.11 says, in case you missed the point, no one seeks after God. It says in absolute terms, no one seeks after God. It is not in us, in our natural position, to seek God. We don't want God. We want anything else. Our proclivity is not to seek Him. It's to seek everything else. 
Our hearts are idle factories. We're constantly seeking something else to find. So no one seeks after God. So he had to seek after us. If not for his purpose of election, no one would come to Christ and none would deserve favor. So he gives it as a free gift. He lavishes it upon the undeserving. And so it was with Moses, so it was with Mary. He chose Mary for this purpose, exalting her from her lowly status to become none other than the mother of God. And Mary sang, the Lord praise for this mercy, and we also sing praise to him for choosing us, for setting his mercy and affection upon us for taking us out of the world and saying, I'm going to love you. Though you are unlovable, I'm going to love you because it is in me to love. I'm going to favor you because that is who I am, not because that's who you are. So Mary is called the favored one, the kakeritomene. And now what's interesting is that the root word that I mentioned of kakeritomene, it's keritao. And it, the only other time that it is ever used in the New Testament is one other time. And I want you to guess who it's used of. Who would you think it was used of? Jesus? Jesus? Well, surprise, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> gotcha. It was used of us. It was used of the church. The only other place in the New Testament where this root word is used in is in Ephesians in reference to the church. It's in Ephesians 1 verse 6. Let me read verses 1 through 6 and hear how the Lord has blessed us in Christ. Actually, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, it's easy to miss it because this isn't Greek, this is English that we're reading. It's easy to miss it. The ESV doesn't quite do it justice but it's in the last verse there, in verse 6. It's where it says, He has blessed us in the beloved. The word is ekeritosin, the same root word as keritao. This verse, therefore, it might be better translated, His glorious grace, which He has freely bestowed on us 
in the beloved, which he has freely lavished on us in the beloved, which he has freely given to us in the beloved. We are the ones who have freely received the grace of God. So you see, we, like Mary, are the favored ones of God. We, the church, God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to receive the free riches of grace in Christ. God has set his mercy and his grace upon us who believe. So if you are of the church, you are favored of God just as Mary was favored of God. So does God simply choose one person to lavish grace on. And it doesn't matter what they do. No, that's not true. The one thing required of the favored is faith. The one thing required of the beloved is belief. When presented with the glorious promise that the Lord is with you, that she will bear the Messiah into the world, that he will establish his eternal kingdom. Mary asks a simple question. She asks the angel this, how will this be? How? The angel Gabriel was presenting Mary with so many hard things. The virgin pregnancy itself, that probably takes the cake But he promised a great deal, many other weighty things. The presence of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah through her. How could these things be made possible? The angel responds to her question with the promise of the Lord's presence. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Spirit of God will fall upon you. His presence will overshadow you. And with that promise, he gives her this exhortation in verses 36 through 37. He says, Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. We talked about this last week. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Well, why would the angel say this? Obviously, what he's saying is physically impossible. A virgin cannot conceive, much less can she conceive the Son of God. But he's challenging Mary to have full confidence in the promise, to believe God anyway. This is what everything always boils down to, faith in God, trust in God. Will you trust him when he says what he says he will do? Will you believe God's promise in the face of the improbable or the impossible? It has always come down to this, whether with Mary, Elizabeth, Abraham, Sarah, or any of the saints of old. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth's situation wasn't exactly a unique situation. It was exactly what, what, ha- what had happened to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, in Genesis. They also were promised a child in their old age in Genesis 18, though they were 
so old. Sarah, when she heard this, she thought it was quite funny and laughed at the idea. But the angel of the Lord replied, is anything too hard for the Lord? Which is simply just another way of saying, nothing will be impossible with God. Though Sarah may have laughed, Abraham and Sarah did believe God. And Romans 4, 19-22, it tells us the significance of their faith, why their faith was so significant. It says this, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Talk about impossible. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith. He grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is what the Apostle Paul says. The faith of Abraham withstood the test Though the promise seemed impossible, though his body was as good as dead when it came to conceiving, and though Sarah was barren, as good as dead when it came to conceiving, Abraham did not waver, but the strength of his faith only grew as the years passed by, as he went from 80 to 100, still waiting for God to bring about the promise. And that is why He is the father of faith, and that is why he was counted righteous. Do you see the necessity of faith? And so Mary, she herself is now being faced with a test of faith like Abraham's. Will she believe the promise of God that he will accomplish the impossible, that even in a virgin, the Son of God can be conceived. Look at her response in verse 38. This is her response to the promise of God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Let it be. That is... That's simply one word in the Greek, actually. It's the word genoito. And genoito is the, the Greek equivalent of a Hebrew word that we all know, amen. Amen. Essentially, in response to the promise of the Lord, Mary says, amen. May it be so. May it come to pass. Let these things that you have said come to be in me. Father Renera Cantalamessa, he says this of that word, genoito. It indicates both faith and obedience. It acknowledges that what God says is true and submits to it. 
So Mary believes, and the result is blessing and praise. Blessing and praise. When Mary runs to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's own miracle recognizes the miracle in Mary. Elizabeth becomes filled with the Spirit and speaks of Mary's blessing. Everything that she says, Spirit-filled, Spirit-induced. She says in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There is blessing for Mary because of her faith. And right after, she sings her song of praise, magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in Him for the works He has done, how He has exalted her from her lowly station, taken the poor and exalted Him, not the rich, subduing the rich, but taking the poor and the lowly one and exalting them. The humble will receive grace. The humble will receive grace, and we praise God for bringing us out of our humble status and exalting us. So like Mary, and like Abraham, and like Elizabeth, we also are being called to believe that God can do what He says. Even the improbable, even the impossible even what doesn't make sense, even the invisible, that He can make what is invisible visible and real, that He can do the impossible. When we consider our own empty, barren hearts, when we consider our dead, sinful spirits, this body of death and full of sin, who else has a body of death and sin in this room? I mean, a few of us, good. We all do, a body of death and sin. And when we consider the dead around us, the dead in our church, the dead in our city, the dead in our state, the dead in our country, the dead in our world, who have these barren hearts like we do, that have these dead bodies like we do of sin, can we believe that, yes, God can raise us up with Christ? That yes, God can conceive in us also the Spirit of God. That Christ also can be made to dwell within us. That the Word of Christ can indwell us. That He can be birthed through us into the world as we are faithful. As we go through labor pains to bring the Word of God into the world. Yes, He can. I believe. I believe He can do that for me. I believe He can do that for this church. I I believe He can do that for this city, our state, our nation, our world. May He do it. Let it be according to Your Word, Lord Jesus. Let it be according to Your Word. Make it so, what You have promised, through Your Son, Jesus, through Your Holy Spirit. So, we are being called to believe this. The impossible thing we are asked to believe is that He is able to save us, even us. In Luke 18, when faced with Jesus' teachings, His own disciples could hardly believe the possibility of salvation for all sinners. They asked Him, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, 
what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see how he makes the impossible possible. The blood of Christ makes this possible. The presence of God makes all things possible. And he is here with us right now. He is here with us. The Lord is with you. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You are favored of the Lord. The Lord is with you. So New King Church, we are called to believe his promises, to take hold of them for ourselves, to believe that they are possible for us and for those around us. We are called to believe that, yes, the Lord can favor even us. That, yes, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save a sinner. That the presence of the Lord makes everything possible. We are called to believe his promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. That, yes, Mary's son Jesus offers us free grace. And we eagerly accept we are hungry for righteousness. The people in Christ's day, they did not believe. They rejected this free grace. They scorned his mighty works. They did not believe the promise. Everything he said, they doubted. Instead, they rejected him, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and they murdered him. They crucified and killed him. But this was all according to God's plan. God wins in the end every time. It doesn't matter if you kill him. God wins. This was all according to his plan, for it was by the shedding of his blood that forgiveness of sins would be made possible and that the mystery of the gospel would be revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that he may be conceived in your hearts also. And God did the impossible. He raised Christ up from the dead because it was impossible for him to be held down by death. And so now he sits at the right hand of God. He has been made judge of the world. He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge us all in the last day. Will you be able to say when you meet him, yes, amen, I believed. I believed your promise. Your promise was for me. My sins are covered. I can come before the judge of the world with a free conscience. So we are called to believe also the promise of his presence. That yes, we believe the Spirit is promised to us. That he will come upon us when we believe, and in us make all things possible, and in us produce righteousness. For all these free gifts of God that he lavishes upon us, us the Iscariton, us the ones who freely receive, the ones who grace has been endowed upon, we have only to ask him. We have only to ask him, and he will give it to us. And he will gladly give it to us out of joy. He's a joyful giver. He's a cheerful giver. Someone's excited. <laughs> How many of you, when your child asks for a good gift, will give him something evil? 
a little surprise, a little trick, not a treat, right? How many of you will do that? Well, if you do, something's wrong with you. But if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father, who is perfect, know how to give good gifts to his children? How much freely will he give it to us if we ask him? He will freely give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift that he speaks of when he says this. He will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask, to those who request, who the, to those who say, I see your free gift and I'm here to take it. I'm receiving it. I'm here to take it. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to our church, Lord Jesus. But we must continue to ask him. We must continue in faith. We must not give him rest when we pray to him. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Let us not give him any rest until he establishes his holy city in us. We must have the faith to appropriate the promises of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him, that He is and that He is good. We must persist in prayer and we must persist in faith and we know that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so we must also resist the devil who would seek to shake our faith, to compromise our faith. When we fall into sin, we say, it can't be for me, this promise. It can't be for me, this promise. I am a sinner. Why would God deign to favor me? We must resist the devil and how he would seek to compromise our faith, our confidence in him and in his promises. We have need of faith, New King Church. We have need to come to the Lord to remember His great and glorious promises to us and to say to them, Amen. Amen, let it be. To say, may it be according to your word. As Mary waited for the Spirit to fall upon her to conceive in her the Word of God, so the apostles waited in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to fall on them, to clothe them with power. They were not going to go until they had received power from the Lord. And they received it for their missionary task to proclaim the gospel to the world, to make disciples of all nations, to bring Christ in the world to fulfill the sufferings of Christ, even through their labor pains, to bring Christ into the world. So we also must wait in prayer for the Spirit to fall upon us afresh. We must receive the Holy Spirit gladly to empower us for our task, for holiness, for the missionary task, to make disciples, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to baptize the nations in Christ's name, to teach them to observe His commands. This is what we have been commanded. I believe it. So if you 
have believed the promises of God contained in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Christ died for your sins, that his blood covers your sins, that he rose from the dead, that he can defeat death, and that you also can die with him to your sin, that you also can be raised with him if you will believe in Christ. If you have believed in Christ, then you are a member of God's church. You are favored of God. You are made acceptable in the Father, in Christ before God. This Jesus, he was raised from the dead for you. This promise is for you. But perhaps, church, you need to stir yourself for fresh faith. Maybe you find that your faith has grown stagnant. Maybe it's been compromised by sin. Maybe it's been compromised by the devil. Our faith so easily grows stale. We so easily fall over the stumbling blocks of sin. Our confidence in Christ and His promises must be constantly renewed. We must be reminded Receive this exhortation from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. Receive this, church. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Receive this exhortation, church. Do not throw away your confidence. We have faith that preserves our souls. Stir your faith afresh for the promises of God. If you have not believed the promise of God, contained in the gospel. If you have never believed, then this is the simple fact that you are not a member of Christ's church. You have not received His grace. You have not received the favor of God. You have not received the free gift that is there for you. You have not been made acceptable by the blood of Christ. But today, the promise is for you. Today is the day of salvation. The promise is for you. Christ died upon the cross to make you alive. He was rejected by men to make you accepted before his Father. Jesus rose from the dead. God raised him up from the dead. And now he sits upon the throne of the universe, made the perfected judge of the world by his Father. And if you wonder, if you hear this and you you say in your heart, I have not received the free gift of God. I have not stood there as one who knows that they are favored of God and accepted the blessing that he promised me, that his word is telling me. I've not received this. And if you are asking yourself, what must I do? What then shall I do? Do as the Apostle Peter instructs. He says this when the same question was given to him. He said, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourself. Believe. Receive the promise. And in just a moment, we are going to respond to the blessings that we are offered in Christ. We are going to respond as Mary responded. We're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in adoration for all that he's done for us, we are going to look at the body and blood of Christ and adore him for what he has done for us. We're going to praise him that he would choose us, that he would exalt us, that he would raise the lowly and the poor to exalted stations, to become his children, to become his beloved, to become his favored, to become the bride of Christ. We're going to praise Him. But before that, let us commend ourselves to the Lord. Let us seek Him for what He is calling us to do right now. He is drawing near to us. Draw near to Him. What is He calling you in your seat to do? How can I respond in faith like Mary? Let me say, let it be to me according to your word. Your promise is for me. Let it be according to your word. So let us have that. And let us ask the Lord to establish these teachings in us to grant us the mercy of changing our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. <laughs> thank you so much for your word. Your word is by your word that we can know your promises, that we can hear your promises spoken to us. We can hear your command to believe. We can hear your perfect commands, your righteous precepts and statutes, your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that you promise to teach us, to soften our hearts to you. Thank you that you take these dead hearts and you raise them up in the name of Jesus Christ. You say to the dead, stand up. Stand up. So command our hearts to speak to us and we will believe. Give us faith, God. Let us be, we are like Jairus' father, or Jairus who, who prayed, who beseeched your son for him to raise up his daughter from the dead. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That is what we are saying to you, Lord. Help our unbelief. Be with us now. Move us, Spirit of God. Teach us these things. Let them stick with us. Let us change forever. Let us exalt you and praise you for how you have blessed us. We pray this all in the blessed, powerful name of Jesus Christ, through whom we have our hope, who lives in us. He is the hope of our glory. We pray this in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen.